Amen. Amen? I mean, that's good stuff. It's even more than an empty slate, uh, isn't it? If it was an empty slate only, we'd just fill it with sin again. It is a slate that is wiped clean and then filled with the righteousness of Christ. And so we have a slate, if you will, full of the righteousness of Christ, and we are holy saints this morning. Amen? And I'm excited about that this morning. Are you excited about that this morning? I'm just wondering if you're excited about that this morning. And I need you to be because we are uh, starting, slash it's our second week in the book of Ephesians. And I'm like a bull out of the gate with this. Like I've just been like, man, ready to go. So turn there with me, if you will. Um, Yeah, here we go. Ephesians is one of my most underlined and coffee-stained books in my Bible and uh, Lord willing, it will be that way for you as well as we go through it uh, this year. Some, uh, last week I mentioned that we're going to spend uh, about six months in Ephesians. Someone thought I was joking. I was not joking. In fact, that's, a, uh, that's an optimistic estimate. I almost uh, already delayed our series that I have laid out this week and thought, I don't even know if I can get past verse 3 this morning. But we are. We're still on schedule after one week. But um, man, we are, uh, we're going to be spending some good quality time in the book of Ephesians. And I, what's really cool is I, I think, I mean, it's, pastors always say, I think God's up to something. So of course he is. He's always up to something. But like, and you just say that, you know, but like we have, this is crazy. We have three different, we have six kind of men's and women's, we have three men's Bible studies, three women's Bible studies in our church. Two of the women's Bible studies, unbeknownst to each other, uh, have either started Ephesians or been going through Ephesians, and the Tuesday night men's Bible study has been going through Ephesians as well, and we're starting Ephesians here, and none of us knew that the other groups were, so somehow the Lord led those three Bible studies and me all to the book of Ephesians right now, and so I'm going to just use that pastor cliche and say, I think God's up to something, and uh, I don't know what it is, but I'm excited to find out, and so because of that, I'm going to issue us, issue us a challenge at the beginning of the series, because I've been growing up, going to church all my life, and I know from personal experience, there's a couple different ways that you can approach a sermon and a church service, and you can kind of be, walk in and uh, just be very passive and quietly sing along to the songs that you like, and uh, hopefully you get a few nuggets out of the message, and hope that it's doesn't, not too boring, and maybe walk away with something, but you don't even necessarily know, like, Oh yeah, what did what was he preaching on again? I don't even remember what the text was. Like I, I'm not saying I've been there. Like I get that. That's option one. And then there's option two, which is like showing up ready and eager to worship the Lord and excited for God to speak to you in His Word. And maybe even having already read the passage that is going to be preached on that morning. We're going to help you with that for this whole series. We're going to give you the passage that we're going to be studying the following week so you can come in prepared. And so I just have this burden on my heart that if we're truly going to grow how God wants us to grow in these next six months plus that uh, we're going to be in Ephesians, we need to just as a church generally tend more towards option two than option one. Can we do that? Can we commit to that? This morning. Okay, I guess I, uh, that wasn't a rhetorical question, guys. Come on. This book is just so 
glorious and beautiful and challenging and wonderful. And we just need to have this posture of like open Bibles or open Bible apps, if you will, and just like ready to, to learn. And so that's my pep talk this morning. I'm going to do something. I wasn't going to do this, but I found out that my wife was going to be in kids. And so just, it's just like totally mortify and embarrass her. So don't tell her that we're doing this. Everyone hands in the middle. And if not everyone does this, we're just going to keep doing it until every single person has the hands in the middle. I still see a few that aren't in the middle. There we go. Okay, very good. All right, we're going to say Ephesians on three. Ready? One, two, three. Ephesians. Brian Middleton didn't do it. <laughs> hands in the middle, everyone. <laughs> Brian? Okay, ready? <laughs> there we go. His hands up. One, two, three. Ephesians. Very good. I was hoping there'd be somebody that I could call out. Thank you, Brian. All right. <laughs> Here we go. With that said, I'm going to read our passage for this morning, and then we'll pray. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace with which he has blessed us in the beloved. Let's pray. Father, we do need you to, um, to speak to us through your word. There are so many just beautiful truths that are, are, uh, are here, plain for us to see, and yet, because of our often hard hearts, we have trouble grasping them sometimes and understanding them. So help us to grow, Lord. I just want every single member of this church to be more like Jesus, starting with me as we study this book together. God, so do that for us. And we can't do that on our own. We can't manufacture that on our own. We need your spirit to do that. So by your grace, help us, God. Help me as I preach this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. I think there's something that is uh, deep down within each, pretty much every single human being that hates get-to-know-you games. Like how many people, if you're sitting around a group or whatever at work or a group at church and the, the leader's like, all right, we're going to do a little get-to-know-you game. How many of you are just like, yes. Here we go. Raise your hand if you just love it. Monica, interesting. Okay. A couple of you. Very, okay. More than I would have thought, honestly. Uh, I just, I mean, the, 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 some of the most terrifying words in the English language for some of us are like, tell us a fun fact about yourself. Like, what, what is fun? Like, what, what does that even mean, right? And uh, there's something that's uh, deep within us, for most of us, uh, that we just kind of hate those things. And so this morning, what I'm going to do is I'm going to just give you uh, uh, something that you can share in, uh, in uh, these get-to-know-you type uh, experiences, and that is this. That's the title of my sermon. It is the most fundamentally true thing about you. Where I need to point this thing? Not there. I'm trying this new thing, and I thought it'd be real subtle. Next slide, please, Chris. There we go. I'll just call it out when I need you to change it. That's weird. Anyways, uh, this is what Paul says here is the most fundamentally true thing about your life. And is this, that you are blessed. You are blessed by God. And this 
church is what we're going to talk about for the next six months. Ephesians chapter 1 verse 3 essentially serves as the theme verse for the entire book. The first half, it's really nice how it's broken up for us. The first half, chapters 1 through 3, talk about the blessings that we've been given by God and the mystery that that is. And then chapters 4 to 6 tell us how do we live in light of that mystery. Verse 3 sets the whole thing out for us. Look at it with me. It says, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. We're called to bless God who blessed us. You can go to that next slide. What does this mean? Some of your translations might say, praise be to the God and Father, our Lord Jesus Christ. Whose translation has praise instead of bless? Okay, that is, it's going to be really interesting going through Ephesians because even this morning in our passage, uh, I'm going to be preaching in the ESV. There are some times when I appreciate the ESV's translation, other times when I think other translations uh, give the meaning better. So we're going to be bouncing back and forth. I actually think the ESV gets it right here, very right, because the word that is used at the very beginning of verse 3, blessed be the God and Father, Lord Jesus Christ, blessed there, is the exact same word that he uses in right after uh, where it says, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing. It's the same thing. So what Paul is saying, it seems like the point that he's trying to make is that we are called to do to slash for God what God has done to slash for us. And already, three words into the book of Ephesians here, starting in verse three, the meat of it, it's a little confusing. What does that mean? What is it, what is blessed be God even mean? In almost all of Paul's letters, he starts the meat of the letter with something like, I thank my God for you when I pray, or I thank God for this. And usually, unless in Galatians where he just starts out hammering them, uh, I can't believe you've abandoned the gospel so quickly is what he says in the beginning of Galatians. Usually, it's some sort of thanksgiving that Paul gives for his readers. But here, it's, it's not. He says, blessed be God. He starts this way in 2 Corinthians as well. And Peter, 1 Peter starts with, blessed be God. And in one sense, it does mean praise. In fact, verses 3 to 14, this is interesting, verses 3 to 14 in Ephesians chapter 1 in Greek are one long sentence. Is one run-on sentence. This was, it's no coincidence, in my uh, final semester of Greek in college, this was the chapter that we spent the entire semester on because this is one sentence in Greek that is jam-packed with the, some of the most beautiful theological truths that are found in all of Scripture. And so in one sense, he's saying, praise be to God for all of these things that I'm about to Tell you. I'm about to tell you some amazing things about God, and so praise be to God for these things. But it's not quite it, because somehow that word that says blessed be God needs to make sense with how God has uh, treated us. So it wouldn't make sense to say praise the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has praised us. Do you see what I mean? And sometimes I kind of 
turn it in my head as I read it. I think, blessed be the God and Father. So praise God who has given us what we need in Christ. So I say the first blessed means praise. The second blessed means given. But again, that, it doesn't quite make sense because it doesn't say give God what he needs uh, because he's given us what we need. So praise doesn't quite get it. Give him what he needs doesn't quite get it. There's, there's some sort of nuance here that we're missing uh, that I think just the English language doesn't quite have the ability to, to pick up. And uh, so as I read and as I studied, and one great resource, if you want to write this down, there's a pastor named Daryl Johnson. He has a commentary. Uh, Daryl Johnson's his name. His, his commentary is called Ephesians, so it's not that hard to remember. And, uh, but he also has on YouTube and a podcast of all the sermons, and then they turn that into the commentary. So the book is just the, the sermons. And uh, I've been starting to listen through those and... Um, I'm just going to be quoting him a whole lot uh, in this series, so just prepare for that. But if you want uh, somebody to listen to alongside our Ephesians series, I would highly recommend uh, Pastor Daryl Johnson's um, uh, sermons. And this is what he says. He talks about the Old Testament understanding of the word bless. And to, to the Jewish audience who would have known this right away. There, there's a nuance to the word bless that we don't quite see in English. So I'm going to read it to you if you want to put the quote on the screen there, the next slide. It says this. So what Daryl Johnson says. Every word in the worship vocabulary of the Bible has a particular nuance involving particular actions of the human body. So in Hebrew, every worship word has a corresponding posture to it, if you will. He says this, Bless involves the hands and the knees. To bless is to bring a gift to another while kneeling. To bless God, therefore, means to come before his presence, kneel in adoration and submission, lift up our hands and offer a gift, to offer the only gift we have to offer, our whole selves. The next part of that uh, quote is on the next uh, slide. So to Paul, to bless God is to kneel before him and offer up your whole self to him. Do you see, are you tracking with me? Blessed be God means, in a sense, kneel before God and offer yourself to him. And now we're going to start to get a, a glimpse at the incredible reality that Paul is communicating, it almost takes your breath away. Kneel before and offer yourself to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has gotten down on his knees in Christ and offered his full self completely to us. It's amazing. Pastor Darrell goes on to say the next part of the quote, the great and awesome God, the creator, has come to us in Jesus Christ, knelt down before us, and given us the greatest gift he could ever give. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. And with him, every spiritual blessing, every blessing that the spirit 
has to give. This is the reality that occupies Paul's mind. This is the fundamental truth that undergirds everything that Paul saw and did, that he had been blessed by God. So if you want to be accurate, but also maybe a a wet blanket (laughs) in these get-to-know-you group games, the most fun fact you can say about yourself is that God has given all of himself to me (laughs) in Christ. I've been blessed by God with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. The next slide. And this is where we begin to get a glimpse of Paul's worldview that is so foreign to the rest of us. As we spend more time in Ephesians, and I pray that this last week wasn't the only time you read through the book of Ephesians but at, through the series, but as you continue to read through Ephesians, we're going to just start to see Paul sees the world differently than we do. He's on like another plane of existence. Every single one of us if we were friends with Paul, would define his life differently than Paul defines his own life. We would look at Paul and say, oh, poor Paul. Man, that guy's been through it. Shipwrecks, beatings. He's in prison. It's awful what's happened to Paul. How does Paul view his life? Are you kidding me? I'm the most blessed man in the world. I've been given every blessing in the heavenly places. What more could I want? In fact, chapter 2 is going to show us Paul already sees himself as seated in the heavenly places with Christ. You think I'm in prison? Nope. I'm in the heavenly places with Christ Jesus in prison. This is incredible. Blessed be God. Give yourself to God because he's already given us everything in Christ Jesus. And let me just ask you before we go on, is this how you view the world when you wake up in the morning? Is this how you see your life? There's someone in our church, I won't mention her name, but it's uh, Dr. Andrews. And uh, every time you see her and I say, how are you? What does she say? I'm blessed. Yeah, you guys know. No matter what's going on in her life. And I love that. And it always convicts me. Because you ask me, how how are you, Pastor? I'm like, oh, it's cold outside. Or I got a tickle in my throat. You know, the world's just coming to an end. You know, like, come on, Mike. How are you, Pastor Mike? I've, I've been blessed in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. So my only adequate response to the God who has knelt down in Christ and given all of himself to me is to kneel my life down and give all of myself to him. I need to bless God. And if we're not in the practice of that kind of posture, our faith very quickly becomes a list of rules, doesn't it? But it's not. It's a relationship. And honestly, the more I've been studying Ephesians for the last couple of months, like, I don't even think relationship, I think that's even too small of a word. It's a new dimension of living that is surrounded by a, that is centered on a relationship. You're not living in Tipton. 
or Elwood or wherever. You are living in Christ in the heavenly places in Tipton. This is as real to you as anything else about your life. This was not just a word trick that Paul was saying. This is a tangible reality for him. And it is for us as well. Like we said, in the second half of this letter, Paul's going to tell us how do we live in Christ in the heavenly places in Tipton. It's going to tell us things like how to have unity, how to be the church, how do we speak to one another, what should our marriages and families and work relationships look like. But that list of how to live, the second half of Ephesians, doesn't make sense until you begin to see Paul's remarkable worldview here at the very beginning of the book. And it begins with a God who has blessed us by giving himself to us and thereby giving every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. How did God do that? How did he give us every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places? Well, once again, we're just finding ourselves diving right into the deep end of the pool. There's not a lot of breaths for air that Paul gives us in this long run-on sentence between verses 3 to 14 because he did so by choosing us. The next slide. Verse 4. Even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and blameless before him. God blessed us by choosing us. If there's a slide that says by choosing us, there we go. God chose us. God chose you. Before the foundation of the world, God chose you in Christ. Let that sink in for a minute. God chose you. And as we seamlessly move from like one mind-boggling fact in verse 3 to another here in verse 4, you probably have some questions about that. What does it mean God chose me? Two questions, really. Why did God choose me? And then the second question, what about the people that God didn't choose? And these are hard questions. These are the biggest questions <laughs> that there are. And... Uh, there's been a lot of ink spilled trying to answer those questions. And at first, I was planning on going into this whole long thing, talking about the doctrine of election and predestination and double predestination and Calvinism and Arminianism and, and, and supralapsarianism versus infralapsarianism, another thing that sound like horrible medical diseases but are, in fact, real theological terms. And then I realized, like, hang on a second here. <laughs> That's not what Paul is doing. What is Paul doing right here in this section? He's praising God. He's not giving a lecture or apologizing for some hard truth about God. He's marveling at a fact about him. Do you see that? God, full stop, chose, full stop, us. What did he choose us for? That we should be holy and blameless before him. Us, 
who we see in chapter 2, who were dead in our trespasses and sins by which we once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, who were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. God chose us. I have to be honest, church, like we could debate election and predestination, all these things until we're blue in the face. And it's not to say that I don't have thoughts about these things or opinions or things that I believe, the Bible says. But if those three words, he chose us, don't first cause you to marvel at the holy God who for some reason felt it was in his good pleasure to choose you of all people to be holy and without any blame whatsoever, that's what blameless means, you're, you're doing it wrong. That's Paul's point. We need to marvel at these things, which doesn't negate the response that we have to the gospel, verse 13, and you also, talking about the Gentiles, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. So you hear the word of the gospel and you believe. And God chose you. How do these things go together? Paul makes no effort to make sense of it. So we're just going to leave it there. Say, God chose me before the foundation of the world. And all who hear the gospel are called to respond in faith. As much as we want our questions answered, we just have to rest in these two truths and then do what Paul does, which is worship. And think about Paul. Like, think about why this is so magnificent to him. What was Paul doing before he started following Jesus? That's exactly right. You all mumbled the right answer. That was perfect. At least I'm assuming I didn't hear any of you. He was persecuting Christians. And then how did Paul come to faith? Anyone? Jesus showed up. <laughs> said, Paul, stop persecuting me, which is another whole fascinating thing that we could get into. Paul, why does he say he chose us? Paul's like the perfect example of this. I was going the opposite direction, and Jesus showed up. And Paul applies that to every single person who's in Christ, because it's true of every single one of us who's in Christ. We were heading the opposite direction, and God, in His grace, spoke the truth. And we believe, and we're saved. And we just leave it at that. God chose you. He chose you. And then not only that, it's like we got to just keep plowing through here. And there's just so, it's like when you ever go to a Brazilian steakhouse and they just keep cutting out this. I went one time when I was in college and, and they just see this meat. It's so rich. And you're just like, I am sweating now because I can't eat anymore, but I want to. And that's how I kind of see these passages. And I am sweating, but that's because I'm always sweating when I'm preaching. But it's like there's just, no. so God blessed us and he chose us and then he adopted us. The next slide. Verse 5. Next slide after this. In love, 
He predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace with which he has blessed us in the beloved. Oh, man. Adoption is uh, really special to our family. My brother and sister are both adopted. My son is adopted. We have good friends who have adopted. Several of us in our church either have adopted or are adopted. And uh, just have to tell you, if you've ever been to one of these adoption finalizations, there's just not many more powerful things in the whole world than when the judge brings down that gavel and announces this child or these children are now legally, officially, fully, not extras, but fully a part of this family now with the full force of the law behind that. And to think this is what God has done for us is, is beyond words. And there's so much what we can talk about here, but I want to focus on the one particular phrase that's just been grabbing my heart this week and I hadn't really thought about much before. It says, according to the purpose of his will. He said, sometimes I like the ESV version, sometimes others. This one, it's, it's right. Nobody talks about this like this. Nobody uses the phrase according to the purpose of his will. It sounds like legal mumble jumbo, right? God adopted us according to the purpose of his will. You know, like it, it, doesn't, it doesn't resonate here. The Christian Standard Bible gets closer. It says, according to the good pleasure of his will. But honestly, I, just, I think the NLT... Uh, really gives us the full sense of what Paul's trying to communicate here. I'm going to read it in the NLT. God decided in advance to adopt us into his own family by bringing, himself, bringing us to himself through Jesus Christ. Here's the main point. This is what he wanted to do, and it gave him great pleasure. That's what according to the purpose of his will means. It means God wanted to do it, and it brought him great pleasure pleasure. Why did God adopt you? Because he wanted to. That's what the Bible says. Sounds too good to be true. It's not. It's what the Bible tells us. I want to just like speak that over you this morning. God chose you because he wanted you in his family. It gave him great pleasure to adopt you, dear Christian. He loves you. He saw you stuck in sin. He saw you stuck in guilt. He saw you stuck in shame. And it gave him great pleasure to choose you to instead be holy and blameless before him and adopt you into his family. I've been to a handful of these adoption finalizations. Never once did the parents seem indifferent about what the judge would ultimately decide. When we were there with Owen when he was six months old and his little, he had a little bow tie on. and um, I wasn't indifferent <laughs> to what the judge's decision was going to be. <laughs> I wanted him in my family. The judge asked if it's, you know, is this, parents, is this your desire to adopt this child and bring them fully into your family? I've never heard a parent respond, eh, I guess. <laughs> and the same is true with God. <laughs> God adopted you because he wanted you in his family. Why did he want you in his family? Well, if your answer is anywhere close to 
because I'm awesome. Why wouldn't he want me in, my, in his family? Uh, that's, you're, you're, you're barking up the wrong tree there. Um, why did he choose you? That's the whole point. <laughs> Blessed be God. <laughs> For some reason, it gave God great pleasure to adopt you into his family, to be holy and blameless before him, so much so that he chose you before the foundation of the world and blessed you in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, not the least of which was when he came down and gave you himself in his son. So what can you do? What should you do as response? The only thing that you can possibly do, back to the words of Pastor Johnson, Come before his presence, kneel in adoration and submission, lift up our hands and offer a gift, the only gift we have to offer, our whole selves. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, amen? I think we have 10,000 reasons to bless the Lord. What do you think? Let's pray. God, we... uh, Oh, it just feels like we're just even passing by these, these truths. Like, um, it's so hard to get it to just sink fully and deeply into my own heart. And I know even tomorrow morning when I wake up, I'm going to struggle to see myself this way. So help us, God. Help us to understand these things things that are true about who we are. It's it's truer than anything else we could say about ourselves. We are right now raised up and seated with Christ in the heavenly places in Tipton at Rock Prairie Church. And all we can say in response is, bless you, God. May our lives bless you. May we kneel down, raise up our hands and give you the only thing that we can give, which is our whole selves.